0: How we doing? You guys feeling good? It's a lot of energy in this room today, man. It's so good to be with you. Welcome. Much love to everyone here at Northwest, watching online and at all of our campuses, including my dear friends at the North Campus. I'm so excited to share with y'all today. Yeah, there's some North Campus people here today too. Love you guys. Well, if you're new here, we are fresh off the heels of a great series that we just wrapped up entitled Significant Other. We were looking at God's design for human relationships. The work we did there is going to set us up really well for where we're going today. Like Aaron said, we're kicking off a brand new series for the summer we're calling What the World Needs Now. We're going to look specifically at the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. These are the qualities, the attributes, the byproducts of walking in a close relationship with God. Now you're going to have the opportunity to hear from several others on our teaching team this summer, including a couple special guests. Uh, These next eight weeks could be what you call topogetical. And that's not a real word. Uh, It's also not a foot cream. It just means it's a way for us to teach exegetically through uh, some foundational scriptures in a very topical way. I think you're going to love it. It's going to be great. So what I want to do today, I just want to start off by asking you all a question. If I were to ask you, what does the world need now? What would you say? What does your world need now? I'm going to leave it rhetorical, but I want you to let that sink in and think about that for just a moment. What does the world need now? I took the liberty of asking a few of my friends and just wanted to get a sampling. And I think their answers are probably pretty indicative of what a lot of us feel here. So I want to share those, share those with you. To get along. yeah, The world needs that, right? We need that in, in spades. The, uh, to start over. Ouch. That was, that was pretty pretty rough. I might need new friends on that one. Uh, Lower gas prices, can I get an amen? A lot of amens. Jesus, okay, someone gave me the Sunday school answer. It does work. This one might be my favorite one though right here. Taco Tuesday every day. Come on, come on. How do we get that sanctioned? Because I'm all about that one. We're going to be making the argument that the world needs the fruit that the Spirit provides. And if you're at all familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, you know the one that encompasses all of the rest, the big one, is love. That's what we're going to look at today. So thanks for the softball, Aaron. (laughs) I don't know if I should be grateful or upset. It's kind of like giving the president the topic of the economy to talk about. (laughs) You can literally talk about anything you want. I can spin it to say almost anything. It's kind of like this. Consider this. If I asked you guys to write me a song and the topic I gave you was love, what would you say? I would have hundreds and hundreds of different examples that were brought to me. All that to say, I just want you guys to know I'm gonna be up here for a while. Some of you thought it was bold of us to go through uh, Romans in 11 weeks. Well, we are about to cover the most predominant theme of scripture, the most significant of all human attributes and qualities in the next 30 minutes. Are you ready? Oh, let's go, we are ready. Thankfully, Aaron and the team have unpacked love for us so beautifully over these last five weeks. And they focused considerably on Eros, which is that romantic sexual love. So for that, I do thank you, Aaron, uh, that I don't have to address that. My kids thank you. Many of you do. If we had to hear dry humping one more time, I don't know what would happen. (laughs) I guess you just did. Sorry. You know, sorry about that. Kyle did a great job last week breaking down brotherly love, phileo, This series, it sets us up really well, but it also makes it really difficult because I've really wrestled with what can I say about love that you haven't already heard, what hasn't already been said. Yet here we are, we live in this world that has a lot to say about love, but it seems to be only certain types of love expressed in very certain ways tries to claim love as its theme and as its banner, but I wonder if it might be holding on to a different type of love than that which God shows us. So much of the love that I see in the world, it comes with strings attached. It's contained to certain ideologies. It applies only to select people in certain ways, usually those that we feel deserve to be loved, maybe agree with us. This is wildly confusing. So what does the world need now? It's not hard to see that our world is in desperate need of real love. If I asked you guys to come up with examples, I'm sure we could come up with many examples where love was significantly lacking, probably in the recent days. Um, Some of you were probably targeted with the same Facebook ad that I received here about a month ago. It was from a large national well-known restaurant chain. Uh, To protect their identity, I'll go ahead and change their name and I'll just call them Fanera Bread. Let's go with Fanera Bread. (laughs) So, I got this Facebook ad from Fanera Bread that was advertising unlimited free drinks. So, for two months, you could literally go there every single day, get multiple drinks, no questions asked, no purchase necessary. It was a trial to see if you wanted to get the subscription in a couple months. I was very intrigued. This is literally two of my favorite things drinks and free stuff. And I did what you should not do I looked at the comments, and Lord have mercy. I opened up the comments to see what people were saying, and I wish I was cherry picking. I'm not cherry picking. These were right off the bat, almost in order, the list of what I saw. Fanera Bread, offering us so wonderfully free, unlimited drinks, and these were the comments that started popping up. Catherine, the charged lemonades are great, but it would be really nice to have some kind of sugar-free lemonade option, even if it's just Minute made from the fountain. Some of us can't do so much sugar. Thank you, Catherine, duly noted. Next one, Shanna. If only they had Coke products. How dare you offer me free drinks that aren't Coke. Jackie, you got rid of the best iced tea, plum, ginger, hibiscus. Mm-mm-mm. I'm guessing because it was very low in calories and too healthy for the general population is why it was removed. Ugh. Kimberly, if I'm paying $18.37 for a sandwich and drink, I should hope I get free refills. Kimberly. It's called reading, left to right, top to bottom. <laughs> That's not what they're saying. Sean, does broccoli cheese soup count as a drink? No, Sean, what are you thinking? <laughs> Do you drink your soup out of the, what are you, what's wrong with you? Mark. Scam. It's a way to steal your credit card information. There it is, the motive. Exposed, Fanera Bread. Can you imagine being on the marketing team Hey guys, I got an idea. It's going to change the game. We're going to lose a bit of money on the front end, but it's going to pay off in the long run because who wouldn't love free drinks? Apparently a lot of people would not love free drinks. (laughs) All of the hatred that's coming as a result of them offering free drinks is crazy. We've all experienced this type of behavior probably on much more personal levels than something like that. And you've seen the hate. Hate gets spewed so often in the name of love. And I think we can all agree, I don't have to spend a lot of time making the case for why the world needs real love. There is war in our world. There's injustice all around us. There's violence, it seems like, at every turn. And it's very easy for us to point to those really big things. But I kind of wonder, if we turn that pointing back here, could we possibly be part of the problem? I asked you to think about what the world needs now, but a recent poll was actually conducted that surveyed 100,000 Americans and it asked a very similar question. And it was published in the Harvard Business Review here just less than two months ago. It asked Americans, here's the crazy thing. 80% of us agreed on the same thing. That's remarkable in and of itself that 80% of Americans agreed on anything. They were asked, what do you need in your life to bring you more happiness, peace, contentment? Not surprising, free drinks did not make that list. So Fenera could have used that market research right there. They didn't answer with love. They didn't answer with puppies, which is a very acceptable answer in my opinion. No, the answer that four out of five of us gave when we said, what do we need? We said we need more money. So let's get this right. We live in the most affluent times the world has ever known. And we think the thing that we need in our world right now is a little bit more money. It can all seem so hopeless, can't it? So daunting. Back in the 60s, there was a popular song title by the same title as our series. Some of you probably were triggered with that, right? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. Now, it was the 60s, so I'm not exactly sure what kind of sweet love they were talking about, but we're going to assume innocence on this one. Here we are half of a century later or more, and the world is still as desperately in need of love as it's ever been. Perhaps we stop asking each other what we need and we begin to ask our Heavenly Father what we need. So let's do that together now. I want you to grab your Bibles out. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here today, asking God what he has to say. So tap or turn there. We'll have some of it on the screen for you as well. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. Early church father, authored much of the New Testament. He's writing to early churches that he had planted and influenced in modern day Turkey, in this region of Galatia. He's giving them advice on how they can learn how to look like and follow Jesus. He's addressing a lot of confusion in this letter. Doing what any good pastor does. He's bringing clarity and a sound voice to all of the chatter around them. And he makes this bombshell of a comment right here off the beginning part of the chapter. We're going to look at that together. Verse 6 of chapter 5. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's a a bold statement. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what what does that mean? What does God mean by that? It means it's a faith that works. It doesn't stop here cognitively. Something you say, it's something you do. It has action to it. Paul is beginning to help them break from the old law, the old rituals what culture and society were screaming at them about what love is. Sound familiar? Checking boxes, jumping through hoops is not real love. Simply saying it is not enough. And Paul is so fired up in this book and particularly in this chapter. We've had enough PG-13 messages here recently. I'm not even going to read verse 12 for you, at least not in the Greek, because I can assure you it's far more than nana nana boo boo poo, poo poo head kind of language. Some of you are looking at verse 12 right now, aren't you? Yeah, you have to look at it in the Greek to get the full extent, but it's it's intense. He's so passionate about followers of Jesus, understanding and living out their faith. And he's fighting against the world and those who are trying to derail them from their faith. And it all leads to his explanation that he gives us here in verses 13 and 14. Let's look at those. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law, get that, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. What a great argument for how we give the world what they need. There is purpose to our freedom. Do not use it to sin, but to love others. Oh, and by the way, this is how you love God. By loving his kids. Parents, you know this. If someone loves your kids well, they're loving you well. Case in point, this week my son had his end of the year school drama. And we had so many friends and family that came and attended to support us and to support him. That says I love you to me more than you showing up to see me today or anything else like that. Love his kids is loving him. What a great tip on how we love the world. Paul is going to keep unpacking that for us. So let's go ahead and jump into verse 16. He tells us how we do this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Who? Say it with me. Holy Spirit, don't lose sight of that. We're coming back to that one. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. There is a very real battle going on in every single one of our hearts. All of us who follow Jesus, it's still true waging war with the flesh, our own brokenness and sinfulness and the spirit. Paul unpacks that here in the next couple verses and then we're going to jump right into the great explanation of it in verse 19. He tells us what it looks like. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature, the results are very clear. Okay, deep breath. No, seriously, take a deep breath. You're going to want it for this list. You ready? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And in case I missed one, other sins like these. That's a really comprehensive list. And I'm sure many of us could raise our hand to be guilty parties. He just described our world. Nothing's changed. The battle wages on. This is the fruit that we see around us. And far too often, if we're honest, in us. So that's the bad news. Good news is still coming. Verse 22. Let's look at this. But there it is again. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Church, this is that definitive list of the fruits of the Spirit. It single-handedly kept poster printing companies in business in the 80s and 90s. Church people, can I get an amen? Some of you know the song that goes with the fruit of the Spirit, right? Paul makes it clear. There are two ways to live. By the flesh and by the Spirit. Two. That's it. The flesh is our sinful nature. It's our default. It's our brokenness that is built into us. God did not make us this way. We did. Sin did. And our desires can get distorted. That's why we have his word. That's why we have his spirit to guide us. We live in a world that's telling us that if we have a desire, it must be good and it must be fulfilled. The last time I did that, my kids were vomiting Oreos. (laughs) (laughs) If I had time, I could share with you so many dozens of stories of lives that are wrecked, finances that are wrecked, marriages that are wrecked because of this exact principle. People living to fulfill the desires of the flesh. If I asked for hands to go up in this room and at all of our campuses, they would be up all across the room if we were honest. The other way to live is by the Spirit. To bear the fruit that is specifically today we're going to look at the fruit of love. So how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at that. I got an answer for you. You're going to write this one down. You ready? You can't. You can't. End of sermon. Thank you guys for being here today. This has been great. (laughs) Here's the thing. I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. You don't work to produce spiritual fruit. You don't work to produce the fruit of the flesh. They are natural byproducts of where you are planted. Who is guiding your life? Who is leading your life? This is such a great litmus test for us to spiritually evaluate ourselves. Am I producing this kind of fruit? We don't judge people, we know that, but we do evaluate things and we should evaluate ourselves. Jesus said, You'll know a fruit, a tree by its fruit, whether good or bad. So I know in my life, if I'm producing this kind of fruit, I'm walking with Him in the right ways. Am I slow to anger? Am I gracious? Am I generous? Am I joyful? If I am, I know it, my family knows it, and many of you who know me know it. You see it in me. But if I'm not, I begin to see it. I begin to see that I get a little more quarrelsome, a little quick to anger. There's more lustful desires, there's more jealousy, there's more selfishness that comes out in me. And I know that I'm not planted in the right place. I'm not connected to the vine. It's very, a very simple principle. But it's hard for a lot of us to get because the church has missed it for so long. We've used the fruit of the Spirit as a tool for behavior modification. And the result is that we have failed miserably. Has anyone ever tried to will themselves to sexual purity? Good luck with that. You ever tried really hard to be patient? Or have you tried to count to 10 so you didn't explode in anger? Yeah, me neither. None of those things, right? Bearing fruit is not a matter of the will. It is a matter of discipleship. It is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. I just want to say one more thing here as we before we unpack love a little further, because this is also very important for everything we're going to do this summer. As we look at all of these fruits, if you are working harder to produce spiritual fruit, it will not work. It won't work. You cannot do it. Do not work harder. Draw closer. Jesus, yeah, come on. Jesus gave us this principle to live by. And I want to look at this really quick. I know we've unpacked this before. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, say it with me, nothing. 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 Let that sink in. Apart from Jesus and abiding in him, you can do nothing. You cannot produce that kind of fruit on your own. It is a natural byproduct of where you are planted. We walk with him. He bears the fruit. And this list of this fruit is so beautiful. When you see it in the life of somebody else, it stands out. It's attractive. And it's evidence of their faith and their trust in Christ and the way that they've lived their life and where they're planted. So let's go ahead and move on to love today. I want to look at the granddaddy of them all in the remainder of our time. I'm going to make a bold statement here, so please don't throw stuff at me. The word love, while accurate, is also entirely unhelpful. It is completely unhelpful for us. For us to truly understand love, we have to redefine it. Actually, better yet, we need to more accurately and more fully define it. So what did God mean by love? I love my beautiful wife, Brooke. She's sitting right over here. I love you. And she loves watching Dr. Pimple Popper. (laughs) And to be fair, she loves me too, very much. At least she did before I used that Dr. Pimple Popper joke. So I I don't know. Jury's out on that one. Sorry, babe. Are those two things the same? No. The problem is language. Language. And if you've been with us any length of time, you know this. In the Greek New Testament, which the Bible was written in our New Testament, there are at least four different types of love that are expressed with very different words. In English, it's very difficult because we almost always use one definition, the first definition that's found in the dictionary, which says this. Love is an intense feeling of deep affection. An intense feeling of deep affection. In other words, love is what one feels Love is often something you've earned. It's a feeling that is fleeting. God has so much more to say, a much fuller picture to paint on love. We've looked at this in previous weeks and I just want to do a quick review on something Aaron showed us a few weeks back. There are those four loves. The first one is philea or phileo, which is that brotherly love, that friendship, city of Philadelphia. That's what that love refers to. The second one is storge. This is an empathetic type of love. Third one is eros. We've spent a lot of time here. That's that romantic erotic love, and then today the big one is agape, which is sacrificial love. Agape is the word that is used in every instance in Galatians 5, verse 6, verse 13, verse 23. It's all pointing us toward love being a choice, not a feeling, a decision intentionally to put others first. It's sacrificial. It's starting to sound a lot like what the world needs now, isn't it? God's love is unconditional. But the world gives us a version of love that says this, I love you until you mess up. I love you until you offend me. I love you until you even genuinely wrong me. And then you don't deserve love. You deserve shame. You deserve hate, rejection. You certainly don't deserve free drinks. We've established that one. (laughs) When someone or something stops giving us enjoyment or pleasure or reciprocation, we stop loving What we do is we use the dictionary's definition of love, not God's. It's kind of like how I used to love Oreos before that incident. (laughs) It's like some of us say we used to love our spouse, but we fell out of love. Or we used to be best friends, and then you broke my trust. You let me down. You didn't meet my expectations. Fill in the blank. Or it's kind of like how I used to love Purdue basketball and then the peacocks. Thought I could use that joke, it's still way too soon. It's way too soon. A lot of damage there. Agape is unconditional because it's a decision. Church, love is not a fleeting feeling. It is a bond that is built. It's not a fleeting feeling. It is a bond that's built, it's a commitment that's upheld. This world needs this kind of love. And we have literally cornered the market on this one. The basis of our faith and our life is built on this truth that God loved us so much that he gave of himself sacrificially when we didn't deserve it. The reason the world thinks the way it does about the church is because we have not shown them this kind of love. There was a Barna study done a few years ago that was featured in the book Unchristian. It surveyed young, young non-Christians, 16 to 29-year-olds, and it asked them to choose their descriptors and rank the descriptors of how they perceived the evangelical Christian church. So 10 of them were positive, 10 were negative. Pick whatever you want. 91%, number one answer, 91% said anti-gay. Followed closely by hypocritical and judgmental. We did get friendly. That was 70%, so we got that one. Where's the Disconnect. Why hasn't the world seen this kind of love? Now, I've spent some time here recently. I've been praying through this. I've been marinating in this. And I have a theory as to why this is true. And I want to share it with you. You do want to write this down. You can't show what you don't know. You can't show what you don't know. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about information. I know that many of you believe and know that God loves you. Now, some of you might not fully believe that yet, but you know cognitively, you've heard that God loves you. If it was just about information, I would say love people because God says so and you would do it. But how well is that working for us? No, I'm talking about something much deeper. I'm talking about experience, something that changes the way you live and it's a natural byproduct of the way you live. Just like the fruit that we're talking about, knowing him, being with him, drawing close to him. You can't show what you haven't truly experienced for yourself this isn't behavior modification. This is heart transformation. Now, I bet we've all tried to show something that we didn't know. I know I have. It didn't take me long to come up with an example for this. Uh, a few years ago, my kids were a little bit younger. Um, they were 10 and 7 at the time. And we were watching a uh, big dance, March Madness, NCAA tournament game, Purdue game, I'm sure. I put the kids to bed and we were kind of debriefing, unpacking that whole thing. And I explained uh, to Camden, my youngest, who was 7 at the time. And he said, Daddy, I don't understand. What is the big dance? He said, they're playing basketball, not dancing. I'm like, great observation. And I said, it's a metaphor. They're like explaining, you know, it's like Cinderella and the slipper and, you know, the brackets and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, explained it in a very, you know, helpful, intelligent, fatherly way. And uh, a few seconds later, my oldest son, Bryce, was 10 at the time in the bunk right above him. He chimed in and he said, Daddy, I think you meant to say idiom, not metaphor. (laughs) I I was like, what'd you call me? It was obvious to me in that moment, the fact that he knew the word idiom, that he knew far more than I did about the subject. I was trying to explain something that I did not know. We looked it up, verified, he was right, I was wrong. I was schooled by my 10-year-old. Very humbly moment. We've all done things like that. We've tried to show something that we don't really know. And I think we've all done this when it comes to love. We've tried to check the box to do the right thing, feel like you should do it, obligation, behavior modification. And we've missed the heart transformation. Can't show what you don't know. And the world needs the real thing. It needs sacrificial, unconditional love. God made us and loved us to do precisely that. I want to help you do that today. I want to ask you all a question at all of our campuses and here in the room. I want to ask you this, and I want it just to sink in. Why are you here? Why why are you here today? Not not at church, not in one of our rooms, not on the other side of a screen. Why are you on this planet Why are any of us on this planet, for that matter? Some of us would say to serve him, to share his word, to do his will. You're not wrong, that's true, but those are secondary. It's not why you're here. Parents, let me ask it this way. Why are your kids here? Don't say accident, any of you. (laughs) They're here to love you and to be loved by you, to share in the family experience, to carry on the family legacy. We have been created to be loved and to give love. So if you want to give the world the love it needs, this is the place in which we have to start. I want to let you in on a little piece that might be missing from all of our understanding of this, and it's been so helpful for me. In the Old Testament, there is a word called chesed. It is the word for love that agape is derived from ultimately. And it's woven all throughout the Old Testament. And it speaks of God's love to us. And it has a lot of deep meaning to it. I want to share some of that here with you. That word has said means loving kindness. To cling. To hold fast. It conjures up the idea of commitment. What does that sound like? You see, God's love in its purest form is best understood in terms of attachment love. The love a child has with his mother. God's love is not simply stated, it is best experienced. In his book, Renovated, Jim Wilder, a neuroscientist, unpacks this beautifully. He's actually breaking down Dallas Willard's seminal discovery Dallas Willard, the great, late, great Christian theologian and philosopher, they were co-collaborating on this book when Dallas passed away. And it was his great discovery. And so they break this down and explain it a little bit more. A child bonds with its mother as she feeds it, as she provides for it, meets its needs for care and for life. And there's this profound neurological bond that takes place when face-to-face nonverbal connection is made. And the smile of a parent to a kid. The embrace The kiss, the eye contact. Neuroscientists have a name for this now. It's called mutual mind. And it builds a familial bond that creates in us the belief that these are my people. I will sacrifice for them. I will fight for them. This is why so many of us love our dogs. (laughs) The same things are taking place in this attachment love. This is what building a bond looks like and so many of us have never experienced it and cultivated this crucial part of our faith. And that's why it's so difficult for us to show something that we don't truly know. When we come to place our faith and trust in Jesus, the way Jesus explained it is that we have been born again. We just witnessed many people going all in today through baptisms. how incredible. Starting that journey, literally born again. What does a newborn do? Nothing, right? Nothing. All they do is they receive love and care and provision from a loving parent. That's it. That's the attachment love begins to build. I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I've had the privilege as a pastor of sitting across from a lot of different people with a lot of hurts, a lot of stories, a lot of pains, a lot of hopes, a lot of heartaches. I sat down with someone recently who's been on this planet for 40 plus years. And as we began to sit in it and unpack the story and identify what was going on, we came to this incredible, heartbreaking discovery that this person in their 40 plus years on this planet had never, ever felt loved by anyone. Not once. A lifetime of abuse, hurt, betrayal, rejection, never feeling like they were enough. Agape and hesed, those were foreign concepts to this individual. They saw some distorted forms of eros and phileo. And some of you listening to my voice today have experienced the very same thing. There's always a string attached, always trying to earn it, always waiting for that other shoe to drop. And maybe you've known God loves you in your brain, but you've never really experienced it in your heart and in your soul, that can change today. The church has been really good at helping us change belief and behavior, but not as good at developing that attachment love that God made for us to experience. So I want to create some space for us to take a baby step in that direction together right now. And I'm going to walk us through a prayer experience together for a few moments that you can practice on your own. You can take this and expand on it later. So right now at all of our rooms, at all of our campuses, watching online, I just want you to get yourself comfortable. I want you to go ahead and go ahead and close your eyes at all of our campuses. And I want you just to take in a deep breath and then slowly breathe it out. God, I want to ask you in this moment to be present. Holy Spirit, we give you freedom and permission to minister to us, to have your way. I want you to begin by thanking God for all that he has given you. And why don't you begin by just thanking him for your body. For some of you, that's gonna be really hard because you don't love your body. You think God made a mistake. But I want you to know today he loves you and he made you fearfully and wonderfully, beautifully. He gave you the breath of life in your lungs today and it's a gift that you're here, that you hear my voice. Thank Him for it. Thank Him for your friends and your family who love you and have your back no matter what. Thank Him for His provision in your life, for the food and the home He's given you, for the abilities and the skills that He's blessed you with. Just give Him thanks. See Him as the one who is your true provider. Now I want you to think about a time that you sensed God's presence in your life in a profound way. See if you can bring that to your memory. Maybe it was a moment of brokenness. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe he saved you from something or someone. Maybe for some of you, it is this very moment. I want you to sit in that feeling and that emotion and that memory. And I want to encourage you to pick a word or a phrase to describe what that presence was like for you. Maybe you just want to murmur that under your breath softly. God was fill in the blank. God was real. God was present. God was gracious to me. Good to me. Now I want you to think of a time that God smiled on you. Maybe it was a beautiful sunset you took in. Maybe it was a healing or a freedom or some comfort or direction or safety that he gave you and you you just knew he smiled upon you in that moment. Lord God, I ask you now to give everyone the ability to see you. May we see even the face of Jesus before us. I wanna encourage you to picture Jesus standing before you or sitting beside you right now. Look at his face. He had a human likeness, a human face. Look at his hands and see the scars in them. That was pain that he took for you. He loved you enough to do that. Look back up to his face. Maybe you can start to see the creases in his eyes and the creases in his cheeks as he begins to look at you and smile. Loving, agape eyes for you. He He freely gave himself for you because he truly loves you as his own. The reason we love is because he first loved us. Hold on to that. Father I want to thank you for being our provider for meeting our every need for smiling on us Lord as we make our way throughout the days of this world you are so present and you've called us to be loved by you to belong to you to be a part of your family we thank you Lord for your presence in Jesus name we pray amen I want you to see him as the provider that he is to you. Don't miss his work in your life, his presence in your life, the way he smiles on you. Because church, what the world needs now is us. Not everyday us, not judgmental, hypocritical us, fully loved us. And what would the world look like if we loved that way? Our God took a risk to love people, many of whom would never love him back. And he empowered you and me to do the same thing. What would the world look like? I think it would look like relationships and marriages restored today. I think it would look like people who were living their life to fulfill the desires of the flesh. They would change to begin to produce true spiritual, godly fruit in their lives and the world would take notice. I heard it said so well recently, our truth will not be heard until our love is felt. Whew. May you know his love so you can show his love. The reason some of you have never accepted what Jesus has done for you, you've never declared your allegiance to him as his disciple, you've never followed him, you've never really went all in, is because you have never fully understood his attachment love. You've never made that bond and connected with him. May you know today that he has created you to be loved and to give love. He willingly gave himself For you, to set you free and to graft you into his family, to adopt you. And you didn't have to earn it. You didn't do a thing. He gave it freely. We just accept it and align ourselves to him. I want to leave us with this verse from 1 John 4.19. It sums up everything we talked about today. It says, we love each other because he loved us first. The reason we love is because he showed us the way So know his love so you can show his love. One thing we can do to further build that attachment bond is to do what Christians have done for 2,000 years on every part of this globe. They have remembered, commemorated, and celebrated the bread and the cup, what we call communion. For those of you that are unfamiliar with communion, it's a way for believers to remember and celebrate the undeserved gift of the cross. It's not about a ritual to reserve revere. It is about a person to be worshiped. And we worship him as we remember him. I want to invite you, if you received one of these, to go ahead and take that out and stand to your feet as we take communion together at all of our campuses. You see, on the night that Jesus, the night before Jesus would give up his life willingly for you, he had a meal with his followers And he took the elements that they were eating right off the table. He took the bread, he took the wine and he used it as an illustration. And he said, guys, I want you to know that I'm gonna give my life for you very soon. And this bread and this cup is a symbol of my body that will be broken for you and my blood that will be poured out for you. This is the greatest of news. And this is what we do. We celebrate and commemorate as we have for 2000 years. So I wanna invite you to take out that cracker which represents the body of Christ. And as Jesus instructed us, he said, take the bread and eat it, for this is my body. Take it in remembrance of Jesus. You can go ahead and open up the juice, which represents Christ's blood. Scripture tells us, He took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it, from this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Take it in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice that was given for us Lord, the great provision that you made on our behalf to care for us, to meet our needs, to do what we could not do. Lord, it's a a reminder of that great smile you place on us every day as you are so present in this world and in our lives. We love, Lord, because you showed us the way. So may the natural byproduct of our lives bear spiritual fruit and most of all, Lord, love today. May we know your love and as a response, choose to love this world that you have put us in. Empower us, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.